Well, good afternoon there, sir. Good afternoon. We're putting on these sunglasses for this because it's about to get real shady up in here. No, I'm kidding. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, this is, sounds very juicy. <laughs> Just being serious. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but how are you? What you been up to? It's been a minute. It's been a minute. You know, I'm just getting through the summer with the kids being out of school. That's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't you tell me there's a Harry Potter camp? I just got word from a friend that her kids are going to Harry Potter camp for a week. And I was like, this is unfair that it was not around when I was a child or that I am not a child now. So, yeah. So ever since... I just can't focus on anything else, to be honest. But what I have been doing is I discovered ChatGPT. Yeah. Please explain. Oh, my gosh. So it is the AI that everybody is super afraid of and has been freaking out about as if this has not been around forever is a website slash app that you can have do anything for you. And it is now my new best friend. So that's what I do most of the time these days with figuring all that out. I mean, I swear you can go in there and ask it to do anything. I mean, not physically. No, no, no. It it can like write out scripts and stuff. Oh, it can write. I wrote a song. I wrote a poem. The poem was not as good as the song. Captions, essays. You can write an entire dissertation. So I don't know how the world's going to deal with this, but I'm thrilled. That's part of the writer's strike going on right now in Los Angeles that they're still on. Yeah, because they, what's to prevent studios from just going into chat GPT with someone's idea and writing their own scripts with a GPT, you don't have to pay a writer. Yeah, well, somebody's still got to edit it. Somebody's still got to edit it. That's an editor, not a writer's salary. It's Mm, different. So that's why the writers are trying to fight that and be like, you can't do that. Do not okay. do that. Okay. Well, all my thoughts and prayers for them. But you know what they should do is learn how to do chat GPT better than the execs. And then they can just do that's basically their new job is to operate the chat GPT. Right. I don't know. What is the alternative? I know. Well, I know what else? I don't know what else. Yeah. But, you know, it's apparently going to make destroy our whole lives if you listen to any of the talking heads and whatnot. So what does it matter anyways? It so what have matter. you been up to? <laughs> Speaking of Harry Potter, I went to Universal a couple weeks ago and went to Harry Potter World, which was really cool, and oh Super, the movie Super Mario World, which was really fun. I'm so jealous. I felt like a kid, but Harry Potter World, I had butterbeer there, which is so oh, delicious. Oh, yeah. Had that. It's very good. So good. And then you have all the, you know, you can go and buy your, you know, whatever wand you want. Mm-hmm. And the wands work all over the park. You can do th- oh, do little spells cool. throughout the whole thing. Yeah, you can like, there'll be a, a store you walk by and you won't think it's anything. But if you look on the map, you can do a little spell on it and it will make something move in the window. It's really cool. Oh, because when I went to Harry Potter World on this side, on the East Coast, I got myself a wand, but it didn't do anything. It doesn't even do magic. It just feels like it was a big lie. But now that you make magic, maybe that's only doing it for you because you are a magic maker. Maybe because I'm now I'm a magic maker. Yeah. Ah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's been fun. (laughs) I've been traveling in Alaska right now. So that's been a good time. Yeah. And uh, you've been doing some traveling. Any traveling? No, not really. Not really. A little bit. Oh, about to, though. I'm going to take the kids up to the mountains to see my parents (gasps) and then going to Napa for a week. So what part of the mountains? in Banner Elk, it's in outside of Boone. So oh, it's a lovely area. Yeah, it's nice. 
That's oh, a my, golf. My and... invitation must have got lost in the mail. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you, what happened? It did, uh... actually. No, you're invited now. It's fine. No. But aren't you excited about today's guest? I, I am. am like super, super thrilled. He's kind of a, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Cover your children's ears if they're in the car listening to this. He's kind of a badass. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you have to cover your, I honestly would take your children out of the car to listen to this because there is. <laughs> Yes. A very good amount of cursing, but yeah, he's a badass. I mean, he's seriously, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy who is here to help you get your life back together, but you know, you better be serious about it in a good yeah, way. Yeah, ready for the journey because he will give you the tools to help you get to the highest version of yourself yeah. and a better version of yourself and a more healed version of yourself. Yeah. And I kind of said it a couple of times, but I think if you know anything about David Goggins, this guy is very much on the same track. So, you know, and for all the fans out there and a little Tony Robbins thrown in there, I think. So, you know, all around just a motivational guy who's very much focused on healing trauma. So he's right on brand for us. So do you want me to go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about? Do you want to tell our audience about him? I would like to. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Michael Unbroken is yes, an entrepreneur, best-selling <laughs> author, coach, speaker, and advocate for survivors of childhood trauma. He has written multiple books, including the bestseller, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. Michael has spoken in over 80 countries and is the host of the top 10 Think Unbroken podcast. He helps other survivors of trauma shift their mindset and provides practical tools to help them heal. Michael is a beacon and a lighthouse to show others how to crack the code to their own life. He's also the founder of his own coaching business and is a mentor to trauma survivors. Michael has overcome homelessness and childhood trauma and now helps others to learn to love themselves and be the hero of their own story. So without further ado, I give you Michael Unbroken. All right. Well, good morning, Michael. How are Welcome. you doing? Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you guys. It's been great. That's awesome. We're so excited to have you. From everything that we've read and seen and heard, just a great, inspiring person. So it's our honor to have you on and we're excited that you were able to make time for us. So we know you're super busy. So I'm just going to dive right in um, and ask you to give us a little background about where you're from, what your childhood was like, and how that kind of led you to your unbroken empire, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, I always try to like context this, you know, don't compare your story to mine. My story is kind of like a crazy ass movie in a lot of ways. And, and I think sometimes it almost seems unbelievable, but it, it's all true. So four years old, you know, my mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. She actually cut off my right index finger. My stepdad was super abusive. You know, the kind of guy who beats up seven-year-olds, total loser, put me in the hospital multiple times, spent a lot of my childhood homeless and deeply in poverty. In fact, lived with like 30 different families between eight to 12, getting bounced around place to place to place. And then my grandmother adopted me when I was 12, which in a lot of ways is like a godsend, but I'm biracial, black and white. And she's an old racist white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of, right? Oh so God. it's like insert identity crisis. So I started doing drugs when I was 12, weed, pills, whatever. 13, started getting drunk, and then I got kicked out of high school. Fast forward, a, a bunch of chaos, running from the cops, getting shot at, breaking in houses, stealing cars, getting kicked out of high school again. 
eventually I found myself trying to find the solution for homelessness and poverty and abuse. And I landed on money, right? Because I was like, well, this must be the re- we're poor. We're always the poorest family. We've been evicted more times than I can count. You know, there's always a bill collector on the line. Our cars are getting repoed. Maybe the whole reason my life sucks is because I'm poor, right? And that was like a real powerful thought. And so I said to myself, by the time I'm 21, I want to make 100 grand a year legally. That part was really important because I've been in handcuffs more times than I can count. I have family in prison, like literally to this day for life. And my three childhood best friends have been murdered. So it's kind of like I knew if I didn't like change that, I probably wouldn't be speaking with you guys today, right? And then I just did a lot of work, learned a lot of skills, got a lot of experience in the real world. And as I was heading into 21, I landed a job with a Fortune 10 company. And when I landed that job, started making six figures, completely destroyed my life top to bottom. And as I was heading into 26, I'm 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep. I'm high from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. I'm cheating on my girlfriend. I'm fucking $50,000 in debt, even though I've made almost a million bucks. And, you know, it was like looking at life through this scope of on paper, everyone would look at it and be like, dude, you have like the best life. But in reality, it was a disaster. And so I just I kind of hit this rock bottom moment. And that's 13 years ago. You've been through so much. And like you said, as a child, you were severely abused and neglected. And among many things that happened to you growing up, you just mentioned your mother cutting off your finger at four years old, which is insane to me. She was also, as you said, an alcoholic and drug abuser. And you and your family were homeless at times. And you witnessed your mother attempt suicide. You stole food and water to survive. And like you said, your stepdad beat the crap out of you and put you in the hospital. So how did you manage to cope with all of this at the time? And how do you think you internalized those traumas? Well, I don't think you cope with it. That's not a thing when you're eight years old right? When you're 12, when you're 17, it's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to survive, right? And so now so much of it is autonomic. It is these responses to these stressors, because, you know, think about it, like the brain really serves one predominant purpose, right? Survival. And so when it's making meaning of all these environmental things, it's trying to assess, like, how do I survive this? Right. And so I'm actually literally in survival mode, probably from like four years old until 30, just constantly. Like I watched my mother's life get destroyed over Oxycontin. Like we wow. had yeah. bottles and bottles and bottles of that shit in our house, Percocets, Valium, Vivant, like the whole nine, man. Like, And so there are always these pill bottles everywhere. And then she just down them with liquor. So my mom was drunk for breakfast. Every day. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit to when you're at 25 years old, like you said, 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking yourself to sleep. And you, after attempting suicide for the second time, you had what you call your mirror moment where you decided to stop being a victim of trauma and to be the hero of your own story. So what was that moment like for you? And why is it important for others to have their own mirror moment? Yeah. The first time I tried to take my own life. I was a kid, you know, I was like 14 Oh wow! and I was like, fuck this. Like people don't really understand. I can never put into context the amount of suffering that I was in 
at 14 years old. And so it was like, I'm going to go and take this whole bottle of like ibuprofen or whatever. Right. And hopefully not wake up tomorrow. That would have been ideal. Like that was what I was wishing at 14 years old. And as I would come to discover, like that didn't kill. I just threw up all over the place. And like, I had a really, really bad next day. And it wasn't like that idea ever left my head. Right. It was like, this suffering is so bad. The abuse, the homelessness, getting evicted again, watching my mother just go down this path that like destroying her life. My stepdad just kind of like being this monstrous human being who would pop in and out. He, like he'd show up at family holidays and shit and the anxiety like would be so high. Like I, I couldn't think straight. Right. And that's called dissociation. So I'm in this crazy place. But it was constantly that and the pressure of being super codependent, but then also like being a crazy yes person. I would do whatever people wanted me to do all the time, which now people will look at me and go, that doesn't seem like this per." and it's not me today, but it was. And so at 14, I made that decision. And at 25, I was like, I'm done. Like before I was done, I'm done again. I don't want to live. And not living wasn't about anything other. And like, well, I always say this with context. I understand why people want to kill themselves. And we are terrified to have that conversation. And then when people do, we go, I wish they would have reached out. Like people don't understand. At some point you don't want to, you're just done, right? And so I was like, I'm going to fucking kill myself. And it's like divine intervention, grace, God, Holy Spirit. I don't know, shit. But I put a fucking gun in my mouth when I was 25 and on, like on my birthday and my girlfriend is banging on the bathroom door, begging me to come out. Right. And it was like, I will never forget the feeling of just being like, it wasn't hopelessness. It wasn't like loss or grief or I was just done. Like it is like, you know, when you leave, when you leave a restaurant or you leave a relationship and you're like, I'm never going back there again. Like that's how I felt about life. And so fast forward a little bit after that moment, I was like, all right, I'm going to work on trying to get my life at least somewhat better. Right. I didn't know what that meant in the moment, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go to therapy because this is really dark. And what happened was really dark and really, really scary. And that woman who experienced that with me, like she shouldn't have had to go through that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to therapy and I'm going to take it seriously. And I'm just going to see what happens. So I'm like going to therapy and I'm doing all this shit. And I pick up the phone and I'm like, here's what I always tell people. 25 slash 26 to 30 years old were the hardest four years of my life. Because it was, I, I'm brainwashing myself into basically who I am today, right? I'm doing the work, I'm showing up, but it's like one step forward and a million steps backwards. And so I'm like, okay, what can I do today? Maybe it's just, I won't smoke a cigarette today. Maybe I'll make it an hour and I won't smoke one. Maybe I won't watch porn all day. Maybe I, whatever that thing is, right? I won't lie to people today. Maybe in this sentence, right? Whatever. I'm like, can I like just put these little pegs on the board? And one day as I'm going through this, I go to the gym and I'm like, I need to call my little brother. And my little brother had done multiple tours in Afghanistan. He had been home for months and I had not seen him. I had not called him. I had not reached out. Nothing. 
And I'm, I mean, you got to think about this again. I'm making all this money, have this fancy car, blah, blah, blah. And yet I won't, I haven't even talked to my own brother. So I'm in the gym, I'm working out and I call him. I go, Hey man, how's it going? He says, what do you want? Right. You can hear it in his voice, right? He goes, what do you want? I'm like, Hey man, I just, you know, we haven't talked. Just want to see how you're doing, what's going on. And he goes, you're not my brother. Don't talk to me. And he hung up the phone on me. And the next day I was laying in bed and it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm like sitting there. Cause again, even though I started doing this work, nothing had started holding yet. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'm laying in bed, I'm smoking a joint, eating chocolate cake and watching the fucking CrossFit games. And I've never gone into this, but I want to go in this with you guys today. I'm watching these people on this television, like doing this thing that is like what I'm envisioning as impossible. Right. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, these guys are like living their dream. They're like living their life. And it's weird to say that this moment changed my life because it was like a lot of things had transpired to this moment, but it was like seeing this in real time. And for whatever reason, like I just, I turned off the TV and I went in the bathroom and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was so fucking mad at myself. And I think people don't understand the power of like anger in this journey and how important it can be and the role that it can play. Cause I was fucking mad. I was like, you are a loser. Now I'm gonna be clear. I think self-talk is everything. You guys have researched me. You know how I feel about it. Right. But in this moment, I didn't need rah, rah bullshit. I didn't need, Oh my God, it's going to be okay. I needed, Hey motherfucker, you did this. And that's what it was in that moment as I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I'm like, you did this. Nobody else did this. Nobody else made you spend this money and hook up with these strangers and cheat on your girlfriend and not call your brother and eat toxic food every day and smoke cigarettes and get drunk and be in debt and lose another job and fail another business. And all of nobody did this but you. And I started thinking, like, I, I really it was like getting transformed. Like, in this moment, like, I had these thoughts. And one that came to me was when I was eight years old and the water company had come and turned our water off. I mean, I grew up in America, in Indianapolis, in the greatest country in the world. We are so fucking poor because my mother's addiction that they turned our water off. Like, think about that for a second. And so I go in the backyard, I get this little blue bucket. And my mom's like, go still, she doesn't say still, she goes, go across the street to the neighbor's house and get water, but don't knock on the door and don't tell them, just do it. And so I go over there and for the first time I stole water, right? And I remember being in this backyard, I'll never forget this. And I was like, you know what, when I'm a grown up, this is not going to be it. Because the only thing I ever wanted as a kid, I was like, I want to be a grown up. That's it. Because I know if I'm a grown up, I don't got to deal with this anymore. And so here I am looking at this moment in the mirror, 350 pounds, feeling like a complete loser, destroying everything in my life again, and just being like, what are you willing to do, man? What are you willing to do to have the life you want to have? And I'm just like, I'm berating myself. Like it is aggressive. Like it is like, I am digging a hole into myself because it was like up to that point, I'd always blamed everybody. 
It was always your fault, the community's fault, my family's fault, the church's fault, my friend's fault, Obama's fault. Like it was never Michael's fault. It was never my fault that my life sucked. And in that moment, I realized, because I asked myself that question, I was like, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer, and I don't know where this came from, God, spirit, mother nature, Batman, like, I don't know where this came from. It was like, in my head, it was like, no excuses, just results. And it only came from the willingness to look in that mirror. And it was so uncomfortable. It's arguably both simultaneously the best and worst moment of my life. Because as I looked in that mirror, I had to come to the recognition of uh, undeniable truth that I was playing a victim. Yeah. And I want to be clear because this is where I lose people. I'm not taking responsibility for my childhood. That is not on me. The fact that I walk around with this finger that got cut off, that I've had five surgeries and skin grafts, the cuts and burns and the scars on my body, all of the things that I was tortured and trapped, that's not on me. But fuck, every fucking decision I'm making right now is. And I think to answer your question a little bit deeper, the willingness that one has to go and look at themselves in the mirror will be the difference between success and failure in their life. Absolutely. You can lie to everybody. I'm a masterful liar. I grew up knowing how to lie, learning how to lie, cultivating it. But every single night I would go to bed and my brain would hurt. My soul would be aching because it was like, dude, you're going to do this again tomorrow. How long are you going to keep playing this fucking game? And so if you're willing to go and look in the mirror, even though it will be so incredibly uncomfortable and you will have to face truths that you've never faced before, and you're going to have to find a space of culpability for what you have done, which means that now you're going to have to learn tools like grace, like accountability, like discipline, like love, like mindset shifts, right? And integrity. But when you start to do that, your life will become different. And it's the same thing I teach my clients all the time. It's like, we start at the mirror, because at some point, the only way you heal is you recognize that this is on you. Absolutely. Laura and I talk to a lot of people on the show and every single time, no matter what it is, we end up coming back to personal responsibility and accountability. So you talk about your journey from being broken to what you call unbroken in your book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. Can you give us a brief breakdown of what the book is about and sort of what inspired you to write it? I wanted something to be part self-help, but part like self-discovery in a journal format. That's why there is like, you actually literally write in the book as you go. It's like workshopping yourself just in the context of what you discovered, not in like the long-term play. Because I was like, if you've never heard the concepts of like reconciliation or what it means to be enmeshed or what the ACE score is, and I'm like throwing that all at you and you can't make meaning of it, it won't stick. It won't make any sense to your brain. And so when I wrote it, that was the goal. Like I want something that people just plants a seed. It gives them a little bit of a framework shift, just enough to think like, wait, how did I get here? And then to choose to go deeper in however direction they choose to go deeper. And that's whether it's with me or with therapy or with anybody else. And so ultimately, really, that that was the framework of the why. It was just because I wanted to do it. And that definitely reminds me a lot of like the David Goggins kind of outlook on things. And you even talk about in the book 
how people like David Goggins and Brene Brown were huge influences for you when you were, I think, ready to kind of hear those messages. So could you kind of like explain and expand on what you kind of took from them and how that helped you through your journey? Yeah, I mean, I've taken a lot from a lot of people, you know, and now especially like getting to work directly with people like Tom Bilyeu, Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, David Meltzer. I mean, like, it's insane the access that I have to incredible human beings, but it wasn't always like that. And that's what this is the thing I want people to really hold on to, because people will hear that and be like, wow, man, you got to work with Tony Robbins. It's like, yeah, I did. But let me tell you about when I was 50 grand in debt and an ad for a Brendan Burchard course popped up on Facebook and it was 49 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. And I remember this so vividly that I was like looking down at my shoes. I had a pair of Jordan 13s on $300 shoes. And I was hesitant about buying this $50 course. And I was like, dude, you love your shoes more than you love yourself. And I was like, well, I guess I'm already 50 grand in debt. What the hell? And so I bought that course. And so this journey really began with Brendan. And then it moved to Gary V because Gary had just started to pop like right when I started to like really move into this. And what Gary always talked about was empathy. And I never knew what that meant. And so that became learning. And then from him, it was just like it kept spiraling forward. And then one day I'm on YouTube. There was a guy on there named Tom Bilyeu. And he had this show called Inside Quest. And Inside Quest was an interview show. It's really, you know, it was like in the realm of School of Greatness. And it was very early on into this game. The production value was super high. And he was interviewing Tony Robbins. Now, look, not that long previously before this, I had been like, man, fuck Tony Robbins. (laughs) Right? He doesn't (laughs) know anything about my life. What does this guy know? Right? Obviously, you know, you research Tony. He's he's been through some things. Right? Right? And so he's inter- Tom is interviewing at the start of the interview. He goes, the mission of Quest is to help people get out of the Matrix. And the first time I saw the movie, The Matrix, I actually just watched it last night. It's funny. I've watched it hundreds of times. The first time that I saw that film, my mom was in recovery of one of many recoveries. And of course, we're dirt poor. But she had come over to my grandmother's house and picked me and my brothers up. and took us to the dollar movie. If you guys remember that back in the <laughs> 90s, you could go to the movies for a dollar. Oh, those were the days. And so she takes us to the dollar movie. We watched The Matrix and the whole time, I literally mean this, the entire time I watched that movie, I was like, this is what's happening. It felt so true to me and I'll, I'll never understand why. And it still feels true to me to this day. And so I'm watching this movie, fast forward 10 years or whatever, 12, 14, I don't know the window. And Tom says that, and that I just fell into his ecosystem so deeply. And I've had the fortune of having dinner with Tom multiple times, having him on this podcast, speaking at events with him, doing like, and that dude changed my life forever. But at first, Lord, to answer your question, it was like, I will listen to the podcasts, right? And they weren't even like called podcasts back then. Yeah. I will buy the books. I will go to every conference and event I can. I will buy every course I can. 
I will do whatever it takes to get access to these people. I will show up. I will play all out. I will learn. I will ask for help, which is arguably the most important thing. And the thing that I learned, because look, it's I'm always taking from different people, whether it's Eric Thomas or Anthony Trucks or, you know, you, you name the person. It's like I'm always learning from people. Right. And so when you throw in a David Goggins or Brene Brown or Murray Forleo or, you know, a a Randy Garn, whoever it is, like I've had the fortune of like meeting and spending time with these people. I ask them questions. Then you go look at Think Unbroken podcast. I've had the, the privilege of interviewing a lot of incredible humans from Dr. Gabor Mate, Mariel Bouquet, Dr. Caroline Leaf, Judd Brewer, Anna Lemke. I mean, you name it, right? And and Tim Story, as like I interview them, I'm asking them questions. Like, teach me the thing that you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, sure, are you gonna have a podcast and get access to those people? Maybe not. I mean, I'm going on over six years and six hundred, seven hundred now episodes of that show. Right. But the thing that I do know is that it doesn't matter where you get the information from as long as you're getting the right information. Mm. And I think the most important thing that changed my life and why I'm going so deep into this is because at first you might be at rock bottom, $50,000 in debt and your life is upside down. It's like, just start. You are now a coach and a speaker and a podcaster, and you help a lot of people overcome their own trauma. But can you tell us what exactly a trauma coach actually does? And do you work solely with people with childhood trauma? Yeah, mainly just yell at people for 22 minutes at a time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, here's the thing. When people come to me, it's generally because they're at the worst spot in their life, right? They're like, I'm ready to be done. I'm like, cool, I get it. Or they're like, I ruined another relationship. I'm like, cool, I get it. Or they're like, I'm in debt and I got fired again. I'm like, cool, I got it, right? But, you know, people have to be willing to invest in themselves. So, you know, that's a big part of it. Like, what are you willing to put on the line? Because it's going to be, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be time, effort, energy, and money. It's going to be all four. Just is. That's the way this world works. And so when people come to me and they're at their lowest, I actually sit with them and I just go, what would life be like if this we're not what you were dealing with. Like, tell me a story. Just make it up. I know you don't know because you've never had this before. Just make this up with me. What would your life look like if we could get you through this? And people always go, well, you know, I feel stuck. I feel lost. I feel unheard. I feel like my feelings aren't valid. I feel like nobody cares. Nobody believes. I go, okay, cool. All right. So what do you want? And then people be like, I just want to like not hate myself. That really is kind of the crux of all. They'll give me a lot of stories and a lot of diatribe. And I'm like, cool. So what you're saying is like, you really just would like to love yourself enough to do the things that you know you need to do. So you have the life that you want to have. And they're like, yeah, I guess so. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I get that. I know that story too. So how do we get you there? Now, this is where people will win or lose the game. All this is a game, Todd. All it is. It is an infinite game. That is it. It is just iterative. It is a process of learning, of starting over, of, you know, in Monopoly, when you go to jail, you get three rolls and then you go back to go, Mm -hmm. right? You always go back to go in Monopoly. And that's what I think this journey is. So I'm always trying to help people understand that where they are today doesn't have to be where they are tomorrow. But we have to framework and workshop this whole thing. So it's like, how do we even know who we are if you've never known who you are? Right. That's where we start this whole process. Right. Because if you're a person who's been through major trauma and abuse, you have this idea of the person you think you're capable of being. And that's like over here. And you're like, I think I can be this person. 
great mother, leader, husband, wife, entrepreneur, business owner, executive, ultimately all those things. But it, it all comes down to like, can I be a confident person who loves myself, right? That's kind of the goal. And over here today, you're this person self-loathing, self-aggrandizing. You don't believe in yourself. You're dealing with a bunch of shit. You keep fucking up everything you ever touch. You don't, you don't have any, any semblance or resemblance of the person that you think you're capable of being. And then I come and I sit with you and I go, we can do this. We can be this person over here, but we got to kill this person that you are today figuratively, right? So how do we do that? And then in that, we close the gap. And in closing the gap, it's about very simply building confidence around the unknown. What if you did, and I'm not saying you have to do this, but like, what if you did wake up at 530 in the morning and go to the gym? Would you stop being 350 pounds? What if you did stop smoking cigarettes two packs a day? Hmm, maybe you could walk up a flight of stairs and not be winded. What if you did stop drinking every single night? Maybe you would sleep better and have more cognition and feel like you can take on the world. What if you did stop cheating on your girlfriend? Huh, maybe you'd have a healthy, sustainable relationship. What if you did go take therapy and coaching seriously and you put an effort to your life? Maybe you could build your values, your mission, your personal boundaries, your wants, your needs, your interests, be able to define integrity. Okay, cool. So in that space of that gap, the reason why people work with me is because they've never done what I've done before. They've been where I've been because we have a lot of similarities. Like as a person with an A score of 10, there's not a lot of shit I haven't experienced. And then as a person on this side who's spoken around the world, who's been on stages of thousands and thousands of people, who's written best-selling book, who blah, 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 all this bullshit, the reality is like all that stuff, that's circumstantial in comparison to one fucking thing. When I look in the mirror, I'm good with who I am. And so that's the game we're playing. I'm here to help support you to get to that. Look in the mirror and be good with who you are. The number one thing that I hear from people who I work with, they go, I feel alone. Yeah. I'm like, motherfucker, there's 8 billion people on earth. You are not alone. You just have chosen not to find community. And I do feel like it relates a little bit to this idea that you kind of speak about on all your platforms is the vortex and how people can kind of get into the vortex and how to reclaim their power from that. So could you elaborate a little bit on what the vortex really is and how to kind of interrupt the interruption? Look, the vortex is just that space of negativity, right? It's just that darkness. It's inside of all of us, right? That place where you're beating yourself up, you're being unkind to yourself, you're not leading with sympathy or empathy and grace and support and hope and love and compassion, it's when, you know, you spill the glass of milk and you call yourself a fucking idiot or you beat yourself up because you're a minute late to work or the person you were dating, it didn't work out. So you say you're useless. Like, what is mindset, right? Like, what is actually mindset? People in my industry, they're like, mindset, 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 right? But they, they don't ever tell you what it means. So oh, that's so true. Here's how I see it. This is just my interpretation. Mindset is this at its like core. What you think becomes what you speak, what you speak become your actions, and your actions become your reality. And most people are so mean to themselves and beating themselves up and agonizing over the littlest things and being a dick to themselves, where it's like, you know, if you said half the shit you said to yourself to me, I'd punch you in the face. And it's like, and you're out here thinking you're going to be successful. 
Well, if you say I'm a loser, I'm a piece of shit, I suck. Well, you're going to act like a loser who's a piece of shit who sucks. And that's going to be your life. Right. And then it's like, well, for the positive side, if you can bring in the negative, why can't you bring in the positive? So you start to shift this mindset moving out of this place of the vortex. Right. The hard part about this shift, though, is that this leads down that path of discomfort again. Right. Because now you're in this place where you're doing something you've never done. And the autonomic response to the unknown is to revert back to prior behavior so you feel comfortable, right? Because comfort equals safety. And ultimately, if the brain's number one in predominant service is safety, you're going to do whatever it takes to feel safe, i.e., which leads to comfort, which means you're going to continually take one step forward and 10 steps backwards until you actually realize that you're having an, a literal physiological and biological experience in which you are dealing with dopamine, epinephrine, oxytocin, you know, all of these things every single day, right? And the brain seeks those pleasure and reward chemicals. I would highly suggest this. If you've never read Dopamine Nation by Dr. Anna Lemke, I highly recommend it. And in fact, she's been on Think Unbroken podcast, and it's one of the most captivating episodes I've ever recorded with anyone. And she said something that I think about all the time, that there is a significant increase in addictive behavior if you had childhood trauma. Now, that addictive behavior could be beating yourself up. Mm. Like, think about that for a second. Yeah. If the only thing you've ever known is being mean to yourself holy shit, how difficult is it to be kind to yourself, to love yourself, to support yourself, to face your fears, to take on the challenges of who it is that you believe you can become, to close the gap, to ask for support, to ask for help, to build community, to show up every day, to do the thing you said you're going to do, to live in integrity and honesty and grace. Fuck, that's like impossible, right? And so, okay, what do you do? Well, that's where this process of just being mindful of your words starts to matter. I think it's really, I mean, I have all the goosebumps because even if you're not saying I'm a piece of shit every, you know, that's not the narrative, but for you or for me or for anybody, you know, it could be as simple as like, it resonated with me for, I have anxiety. That's my fallback. That's my comfort, like, which is weird as to say, like, it's horribly, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I don't want it, but it is kind of my default to just assume that something's going to be is going to go wrong. And it's almost like superstitious. Like I just, I need to feel that way or it won't go right. But if I were to just stop wasting all that time thinking, you know, how many things are going to go wrong. And I actually thought about how often things can go right. You know, that that may be a much, it's going to be uncomfortable because I'm going to sit there wishing that I could, you know, ruminate in my head. And I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but. So let me tell you something. I had 27, 8, 29, 30 years old, I was having anywhere from three to five panic attacks a day, every day. Anxiety is a future-based disorder. Anxiety has nothing to do with this. Are you anxious right now? No. Probably not. Yeah, exactly. Because you're here. You're in this moment. You're present. You want to have anxiety? Go think about the future. You want to be depressed? Think about the past. And it's like, here's what wow. I've come to realize. <laughs> And, and it's like, sorry, and Todd it's like, needs a minute. <laughs> little mic drop moment there for you, Michael. Just here's how I came to discover this because it was like, why am I worried about shit I can't control either then or now? Right? The only thing I have is this moment. And one of the things that I'm a nihilist, okay? 
at the end of the day, and this probably serves me very well with anxiety because it doesn't matter. Laura, you're going to die. I don't know if you know this or not. Mm, yeah, it's true. coming. Yeah. It's coming. Why the fuck are you worried about tomorrow? You don't even know if tomorrow's going to happen. You don't that's even know if five minutes from now is going to happen. That's very true. And then people go, well, I'm anxious about that. I'm like, well, you're going to die, so you're not going to know anyway. And when you're dead, you won't know. So why are you fucking worried about it, right? And people are like, well, what if I change and I change jobs and then my life is different? I'm like, good. You're like, what if I leave this relationship I've been in 20 years that doesn't serve me? I'm like, great. You'll find out who you are. And people are like, well, I'm, I'm scared. I'm like, perfect. Because now is the opportunity, right? And it's like, people are so fucking fearful of everything all the time. And I'm like, okay, well, one, there's anxiety of the future, right? But then there's anxiety that's self-invoked. How much caffeine are you drinking? How, how long are you scrolling? What is the food you're putting in your body? How often are you consuming garbage television? Are you watching things that don't serve you? And like, there's so much like, and especially I'm not saying this is you because I don't know you, but women love murder porn. And they're like, <laughs> why am I anxious at night? Well, I don't know. Cause you're watching people getting fucking murdered all night. I'm no wonder you're like, are you high? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so it's like, at some point you have to think about the role that you play. Like literally, if I drink a Red Bull, I'm like going to have the most anxiety on planet fucking. I'm freaking out. I'm shake. I can't think straight, right? You're consuming like what you eat matters, but also what you think matters. And so you're consuming all this toxic media constantly. And then you're comparing yourself to the guy on Instagram or the woman on Instagram. It's like those people's lives suck. Trust me. I know some of the richest people in America. Those people suck. I won't name them, but I know a lot of them. Right. And I know a lot of people who are poor and they suck too. And it's like, fine, who gives a shit? What matters is like right now, are you in this moment? Can you be here knowing that this is actually the only moment that matters? Because when this moment is over, it is gone. It is done. It cannot be changed. It forever and in perpetuity exists only in this energy of reciprocation that we put back out. You'll copy that. You'll put it on the Internet. This moment will exist again, but not in real time. And so people get caught up in the future and they're like, I'm 36 and I don't have the life that I want. I'm like, and? You're 36. We're all going to live to like 97 if we're lucky, especially with technology. And it's like you're 50. So who gives a fuck? Like, go live your life. Look, we are indoctrinated from the time we are children to be anxious about uncontrollable variables of the future that don't actually matter. Because from the time you're a kid, all you ever hear is get good grades, go to a good college, get a good job, get married, have kids, get the house, be in debt. You don't hear go chase your dreams, show up every day, take the risk, challenge yourself to the unknown and love the process. But you discussed in one of your podcasts, the three most profound steps you can take towards healing, which is which are trusting yourself, removing people from your life and letting go. And so, Michael, can you explain on why these steps are so important to healing? Well, you know, trusting yourself is the hardest thing that we do. And that's why I let off with that, right? Trusting yourself is so incredibly important because that is the space in which you build confidence, right? That's the space in which you discover who you really are because you're going to have to trust yourself in order to navigate this world. I think that's a very powerful message. And I can't emphasize enough how much I want everybody to go get your book, whether it's listening, I like the listening part, but just the book itself, because so many of these 
amazing nuggets of wisdom, just chapter after chapter. And, you know, some of it is kind of like a, I think a good dose of reality. I think you're very accurate in describing yourself of being a realist because it's at the end of the day, you can't argue with that. So I just, you know, can't thank you enough for writing the book to begin with. And, you know, we don't want to keep you, we could sit here and talk for hours and hours, but we know you're extremely busy. So I think that's kind of a good thing to drive home to our listeners. You know, there's more of that in your book with your coaching. I know everybody can go find you at Michael Unbroken across everything, but we do have a tradition on this show before we let you go. And it's called the question of the day. And it's just a little bit something like, you know, after we have some intense conversation, just let, you know, let some things, some fun roll out. So would you, Michael, rather spend the night in an incredible luxury hotel penthouse or camping surrounded by beautiful scenery? Penthouse all day. I hate camping. Oh, my God. So (laughs) I love how fast that was. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Love that. Oh, my gosh. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I think we all know where the rest of us stand, too. (laughs) (laughs) I've camped. Like, I just spent, like, three days in Joshua Tree with my my homies, and we had a little bit of a guy's trip and a decompress, and I had to sleep in a tent, and the whole time I was like, this sucks. But I also grew up... But I grew up a Boy Scout, too. We don't have enough time to go in this, but I grew up a Boy Scout in the Mormon church while going through all of this. I've spent a lot of time in nature. I'm good. Give me the fucking penthouse. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We can't thank you enough for coming on today, honestly. Thank you so much. For everybody else, we'll have everything in the show notes to go check out his podcast as well as all the other resources. But we just hope you have an amazing rest of your afternoon. And thank you again for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. All right. Bye. So what'd you think? Oh, my God. I thought he was great. He talked a lot about mindset. He talked a lot about basically I said it during the podcast, but we do say every friggin' person we talk to about trauma recovery and healing It starts with you. It starts with personal responsibility and you facing your own demons first. Then going outward and blaming everyone else for, you know, things that have nothing to do with them. It's a tale as old as time. But (laughs) for real, like I didn't want to, I guess, make him read essentially his entire book on the podcast. But in his in the book, you know, there's a whole kind of section about ownership, owning your, you know, what your part in things. And mm-hmm. then there's also, you know, the stuff that you need to filter through that you don't have to own. Like you don't have to own that people did bad things to you in your childhood or in your marriage or whatever, but you do have to own that you haven't done anything to move forward, to exactly. heal, to do better. And that that's where the personal responsibility comes in. And mm-hmm. that, you know, you shouldn't have to make up like some kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, I was I stayed in the marriage or whatever. He's not even saying that. It's saying like, just own the fact that you today, if you're in a place you don't like, is because of you. It's not because of anybody else. And he kept harping on trusting yourself before you trust other, other people's opinions of you or other people's interpretation of what you're going through. Trust your own moral compass, your own gut, your own thoughts. And that will help you sort of get unstuck. That's like the first part of the healing process. He said that that's what he starts on first when he coaches people. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, 
I can't imagine. I mean, I've obviously was have not walked in his shoes at all, but reading the book and, you know, our listeners heard his story at the beginning of this. I mean, if he did sit there and tell himself everything that he was told as a child, I mean, no wonder he ended up being 350 pounds and, and not like taking and, care and of himself trying to end his life and, and trying know. to kill himself. I mean, so I think he's very, I won't say aggressive, but he's, he's very no like, no nonsense. no nonsense. And I think that's because it's sometimes that's what's required when you're acting with all kinds of nonsense, then you need some no nonsense put in your face. It was a couple of times it was almost militaristic because it was yeah. like, you know, or militant. It was very like, stop what you're doing right now and wake up. Yeah. <laughs> you're the one creating the problems in your life. So let's start with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in a way, it's funny because in the book, he's, you know, he talks about Brene Brown and finally realizing the vulnerability and, and talks about empathy and talks about all these things, but it's like, you got to have empathy. <laughs> and that's why I brought <laughs> yeah. up David Goggins because he's also a pretty cool person to go follow if y'all haven't heard of him. He, you know, basically is kind of a, not the same story. We're not comparing as requested, but that he overcame a lot and he's a very militaristic way of doing it. And it, it works for, you know, whatever works for you works for you. And I like that he targeted and honed in onto that message as well, that he's not going to be necessarily your cup of tea and something right. else might not be. I mean, like Missy man, is not a lot of people's cup of tea. And what's the best thing about him and what he said? He was like, ah, that's great. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Someone, someone out there, I will help. And I have done my job. I have shared what I'm supposed to do on this planet. Yeah. He that trusts himself. Right. He yeah, trusts himself. So he doesn't yeah. need anyone's validation or approval. He doesn't need you to like him. He likes himself enough for the 8 billion people on the planet. He doesn't need anybody. Yeah. You know, he, he truly is the, I would say a poster child for self, I don't know, actualization. Well, he like, self-reliance, but he's, he does have like his buddies and his community in these people that he coaches and all of that. But he does not, like you said, he doesn't need you. Or anybody. He doesn't need to anyone like, to validate him. Give him a trophy or anything. He's yeah. he's good. And I think that that's a very good place to be, you know, just to start out with. And then we didn't even get into the fact that he, you know, the second thing is that it remove people like from your right. life, which I think is something that's also been a bit of a theme of like, yeah. You don't owe anybody anything. You don't have to stay in an abusive situation. You don't have to stay just because somebody's blood. You don't, you have one life. Well, as far as we know, right. but at least one life right now. And so I, I don't know. I found it very motivating. I did too. When he said you're 40, so what? Or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're all going to live to 97, especially with technology. So just. I was kind of thinking that whole time, like, oh, wow, that's very optimistic. You said you weren't an optimist, but. <laughs> I'm not so sure I'll make it to 97, but either way. Yeah. I mean, this is, you've got now you've got today. It was I think very, he's also like, if I, who have gone through all of this trauma in yes. my life, I can get through it, bitch, get up. Yeah. Like, stop, <laughs> stop. You're crying. You're like, this is, if I can do it, I'm missing a finger. So Literally. you can do it. So I, I just, I think that he's helping a lot of people. So inspirational for sure. And you know, we would go into the question of the day, but we kind of answered it in the interview. Yeah. I think that we're both penthouse. <laughs> I'm penthouse. I just like have tried. I've done it. I've done it enough times. Listen, that I'm all for a glamping moment. 
Glamping, yes. Now glamping with the air conditioner and the downtown first. And like, I know. There's this little, there's this place called Getaway House that have the beautiful like log cabins like on the side of a mountain. They have them all over the United States. Yeah. And they're just bougie little little cabins they yeah. like have your their firewoods there for you to build a fire outside i mean <laughs> yes. you can go inside your air conditioned air little pod on the on the thing that's with so the down covers and the hot water and the, it's fabulous and that's like that's the way i want to camp well, i don't want to be on know, the, i don't want to rock digging in my back no. from the ground uh, and, i've gotten uh, so much like a, a coyote all of a sudden like like <laughs> chewing on the bear? side of the tent a the bear. fact that you gotta like put food away because a bear's gonna come like why are we doing this to ourselves exactly like, we built walls and shelter for a reason it's a luxury penthouse all the way and i know you're bougie ass well you want you want to be in a penthouse well i just feel as though we have evolved <laughs> uh it's not really the bougie factor except for if they could have it pre-stocked with my devs <laughs> and my perrier i would be pleased but you know listen though if we went out in the wild we could survive i would make sure of it but, oh, I know. I know. We would figure it out. We preferentially, it out. I'm not there. I don't need that. I don't want that. So no. <laughs> given the choice. I, love, I love when Michael said he was like, I spent a lot of time as a Boy Scout and camping and in nature. I'm good. Give me I'm the good. I did it. <laughs> I mean, like that, that, you know, it's what you say you did it. That's all you need. And guess what? You can go hiking and see all the beautiful scenery. Absolutely. Without having 100%. to sleep in it. I might go on a hike later today, actually. That's a good idea. Well, yeah, I, maybe. Yeah, I wish I could. I've got way too many meetings and whatnot. But <laughs> either way. It's always good to see you, Laura. And, yes. you know, we really thank Michael and Broken for coming on the program today. For sure. And also congratulate him on all his success. And, you know, everybody out there. It's been awesome. It's been Go real. get it. See you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.